want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at yet another time that uh, Saul plotted to kill David. And in this particular case, um, he actually plots three different times within the story, uh, the passage, to kill David. And uh, obviously each of the three times he is unsuccessful. Um, and, and so as we try to get kind of in the mindset of, of this, this passage and, and, and these events, um, many of you know, uh, some of you know, some of you don't, we, we got the opportunity to buy my grandparents' house. Um, and so that's where we live. We've been fixing it up and, and doing things for, for quite some time. And I got to spend some time around my dad and one of his brothers yesterday, and they were kind of reminiscing about my grandfather. And uh, he passed away back in 2008, 2009, somewhere in that ballpark. And um, he's one of the people that I still, like, I still grieve because I miss him. Uh, he taught me so much. He was such a, uh, a patient person and just the kind of guy that you wanted to be around and, and to, to kind of learn from. And, um, you know, one thing that, uh, that, that was always kind of rough for a lot of us is uh, he, he died of cancer and he ignored a whole bunch of symptoms for a very long time before he finally went to the doctor and they found it. And, um, and we were talking about that yesterday and just the fact that um, he ignored all that and then we all kind of got a little humble because every one of us ignores things that are hurting us. We ignore symptoms that... That, that, that are dangerous to our health or dangerous to our lives. And in some cases, we ignore it until it's too late and there's nothing that can be done and it leads to a much larger problem than it necessarily had to be. Um, what we're going to see today with Saul is like that. Um, he has some problems. And instead of addressing these problems or trying to deal with these problems, he lets them continue to fester and he does worse and worse and worse because he won't address his problems and the things that are, that are very much against him. Um, before I read the passage today, I think it might be beneficial just to kind of recap some of the things that, uh, that we have seen in, in, in these passages that we've been studying. We know that the people of Israel asked God for a king like the other nations. Well, God told them, you don't want a king like the other nations. You don't want a king like that. I will be your king. But they insisted, and so God gave them a king. God gave them Saul. And Saul was very much a king like the other nations had. Um, he was not the kind of king that God wanted for his people. He was exactly what they asked for, a king like the other nations had. Because he was tall, he, he looked handsome, he looked like a king, and in some cases he was pretty good at leading warriors, but he was not a good king. He was not a king that was going to show mercy when he needed to, to, to think about his people above his own wants and desires, and he was not the kind of person that could control his ego enough to simply do the job that he was supposed to do. And so we know that um, he had some fights with the Philistines. These are the big enemies. And, and technically, uh, at this particular time, Israel is occupied by the Philistines. Well, really technically, Israel is the occupying force and the Philistines are trying to push them back out. But uh, it's God, God gave them the land, so it's theirs. And the Philistines are there and the Philistines are trying to push in on the territory always and trying to push the Israelites out. They had a lot of control in the territory at the time. And so there's one fight after another. So, so Saul has fights with the Philistines. His son Jonathan leads warriors into battle and fights the Philistines. Uh, we know that Jonathan is a godly man um, that had experienced victory uh, in the Lord where 
whereas Saul was not really a godly man at all. Um, and then we, we, a few weeks ago, we looked at this, the story of David and Goliath, and we saw that um, this is really where God brought David to the forefront nationally because David was, was uh, by God's power, was able to defeat Goliath, and then uh, that gave him reputation, it gave him recognition. David had been brought into Saul's household um, to soothe the king. The king had, instead of doing the job that God had given him to do, he tried to do the job of prophet uh, in, in one case, and, and that was a point of rejection, uh, God rejecting him. And then there was another point which God sent him to, to cleanse the land of a, a whole people group, and he chose people to save. And when he did that, God ultimately and fully rejected Saul. Then Saul knew that. The, the prophet Samuel told him, you have been rejected. And so that's when a troubling spirit came upon Saul. And so it might be depression at certain times. It might be anger and rage and, and, and very nearly insanity at other times. But all of those things were going on. So David was brought into Saul's household. He could play music and that music would soothe Saul. So for a while... Um, David was kind of the, the, the one that was helping Saul cope with the things that were going on in his life. But as David rose in national prominence through his victories in battle, Saul began to get jealous. And instead of dealing with this jealousy, instead of realizing, hey, I'm the king, he is a warrior, he couldn't do that. He, he could not deal with those issues. He continued to hang on to them. They began to fester, and he had already tried to have David killed. He had already threw a spear at David a couple of times and tried to kill him himself. Saul was going down a really bad path, and, and this in chapter 19 just shows us how bad that path is going to be. Um, David, because of his battle with Goliath and winning his battle, had won the, the reward, which was to marry the king's daughter. And so uh, uh, Michelle was the daughter of Saul, and David had married her. And so what's going to happen here is we're going to see Saul make attempts on David's life and God is going to deliver him in many different ways. So uh, the title is God Save the Future King and we're going to look at the different ways that God delivers him. So we're going to be kind of looking at Saul and what, what's going on with Saul and what maybe he should have done. We're going to be looking at the ways that God delivered David and in that hopefully we're going to see two basic lessons I think for us. One, we can't hang on to things or ignore things until they hurt us. And then two, we need to trust that God is always going to be protecting us, even when it doesn't make any sense that we should be protected. If the king wants you dead, you should die, but David didn't die because God wanted him alive. And so we see that, but we also are going to see what Saul was dealing with and how he wouldn't let go of the things, or at least acknowledge the things that were causing great harm in his life and even in his family. Um, so Saul's still not able to get over his jealousy and his envy towards David, uh, so he seeks to involve his entire household in in a plot to kill uh, this young man. So that's where we're going to be looking. Uh, so the sermon in the sentence is this. Long-standing grudges and, and vindictive attitudes are deadly and no believer can grow while holding on to them. That's the thing that Saul's got going on is he is hanging on to jealousy. David's never done anything against Saul. Uh, he's hanging on to envy. He, he, David has never harmed Saul or, or even everything David's done has helped Saul. It has built up his name. It has built up his kingdom. And yet he still can't get away from that. And it is, it, it is going to destroy him. And certainly uh, when we look at our lives, if we're hanging on to things, not letting things go, or, or not dealing with things, or ignoring problems, 
those things can be very devastating to us as well. So let's read this passage. It's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1 through 24, I believe is where it stops. Uh, and, and then we'll talk about it. It says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard uh, in the morning. Uh, Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands and struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Um, Saul Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Mishael, David's wife, um, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Mishael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Mishael took an image, now that should be translated idol or household god. This is not a good thing. Um, Mishael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. And, the, and then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Mishael, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Mishael said to Saul, He, ha- he said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and came to Saul at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Saul went and lived at Naoth, at Naoth. and it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing at the head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent other messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Sekiu, and he said, and he asked, where is Samuel and David? 
And one said, Behold, they are in Naoth and Ramah. And he went where Naoth and Ramah, he went there to Naoth and Ramah. Uh, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he, as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul among the prophets? Okay, so we're going to look at the different ways that God delivers uh, David. Yes, that last verse is weird. We'll explain it when we get to it. But anyway, um, uh, we'll look at the different ways that God delivers David. So the first way is God delivers David through Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. Uh, he was a godly man, and he was certainly a man uh, that was great friends with David. So at the close of chapter 18, we learn that David um, had sustained success against the Philistines. Uh, he had gained a reputation among the Israelites. Why is Saul so concerned about David? Well, you have to realize that, yes, Saul is the king. He was appointed by God. And even though God had rejected him, that doesn't seem like it ended his life or ended his reign. And he didn't know that God had already anointed and chosen David. David was just a warrior in Saul's eyes. He had been his champion once and a warrior and a general, things like that. So why is Saul so intimidated by David? Well, Saul was a first-generation king. You might say he had a dynasty, but dynasties really don't exist until it passes from one generation to the next. So Saul hoped one day that Jonathan might be a king after him, but that was not something um, that was going to happen. God had already told him that it wasn't going to happen. So Saul was intimidated by the popularity and the reputation that David had. That reputation was something that Saul couldn't, uh, couldn't contend with. You see, in ancient days... It wasn't so much, you couldn't just be a great diplomat, not that Saul was. You couldn't just be a great politician or a great speaker or something like that. Kings did have to be powerful, like personally they had to be powerful. And Saul had that going for him until he had this young guy come kill a giant on his behalf. And that's when things changed. So Saul was intimidated by David and his reputation, his, his ability in battle. Uh, David was kind of an all-around guy. He was a capable person. So Saul was intimidated, and when David has this continued success, that's when he seeks to take his life. So he's intimidated by David's success, and he continues to plot against him. That's basically what continues to happen in the life of Saul for the rest of his life. Now this time, he tries to involve Jonathan in this plot, um, and actually all of Jonathan's servants as well. So the king actually directly asked Jonathan, kill David. You and your servants, you just kill David. Um, and, and this was, I mean, obviously Jonathan and David were best friends. Um, and in Saul here, we see an example of a man who will do anything to get what he wants, to get the thing that he needs. But Jonathan was a different sort of man. Now, can you imagine going to your child and saying, I want you to do this terribly evil thing because it's what I want? That would be terrible and awful. But that's exactly what Saul did. So, so we have to recognize just how far Saul had sunk because he wouldn't let go of his jealousy or even wouldn't acknowledge it. Um, so Jonathan, he's not going to have any part of his father's vengeful plan. Instead, um, and really he seems to be the only person in Saul's household that's really godly, 
So he goes to David. He tells David what's going on, that Saul's going to try to kill him. I want you to hide, and, and hide actually in a field in a secret place. And then in the morning, me and my father are going to walk out. We're going to have a conversation, and I'm going to report to you everything that's said at that particular time. So that's basically what's going to happen. Um, so Jonathan warns David, um, and, and, and he tells him what's going to happen. Now let me tell you that integrity like that doesn't come naturally. Because what would have been the easiest thing to do, because your father saw as the king, the king gave you a direct order. So when you disobey the direct order of a king, you are taking your life in your hands. Now we might just think this is a son, you know, kind of rejecting what his father has to say, which is as common as a sunrise. Uh, but in this particular case, what we have is a subject disobeying their king, which is treason. It was punishable by death. But Jonathan had a strong relationship with the Lord. He did not waver in that relationship with the Lord. It's what drew him and David together was the fact that they were both, you know, strong disciples of the Lord. And so instead, they work out a way to where Jonathan can figure, figure out, or, or David and Jonathan can figure out a way for them to be saved. So what Jonathan does is he has Saul come out to this field and he begins to speak to him and, and, and Jonathan is very, very direct. Now, these are good words. These are wise words. But you have to recognize that they are also very direct words. He does not, um, he does not try to play to his father's ego at all. Uh, he, and there are times where we see that in Scripture. But here he doesn't, he doesn't say, O king, live forever, and then go into something. No, he simply directly says, um, Let not the king sin against his servant David. So the very first thing he says is that, Dad, what you want to do is a sin. It's not illegal. It's not a crime. It is a sin. So right away, he directly addresses it as a sin. You know, the next thing that he talks about is, is that, that David, uh, everything that he has done, it hasn't been sinful against Saul. Instead, it's actually been beneficial to Saul. Every victory that David wins against the Philistines is an Israelite victory over the Philistines, which benefits Saul and his kingdom. So everything David's done has been good for Saul, not bad for Saul. And he's never sinned against um, he's never sinned against Saul. But but Jonathan goes even further. He actually says, you know, when he killed Goliath, uh, when struck down the Philistine, uh, it was God worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and you rejoiced, meaning. Saul rejoiced over this victory, and then he wants to kill David. And so this is the most direct of it. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? This is a powerful statement here. You are sinning against innocent blood, blood that hasn't committed sins, blood that hasn't committed crimes. You're sinning against David in this way. That would have carried a death penalty from God. So that's what Jonathan is trying to tell his, his father. You're taking your life in your hands by doing this. Why would you do this? And so these are measured words of wisdom. Um, it, it, it's it's well-reasoned. When Jonathan finishes saying this, Saul actually has a change of heart. These words of wisdom from his son calm Saul temporarily. Just for a time, it calms Saul. So what we see is that for a time, David can come back to court. 
He continues to play the liar. He continues to do the things that he had done beforehand. Um, and, and I think there's two things that we don't need to miss about this portion of the passage. First, the relationship that Jonathan had with the Lord is what enabled him to have this dangerous conversation with his father. It could have went a different direction. That conversation goes a different direction, and all of a sudden, Jonathan is in big trouble. Now, probably Saul would not kill his heir. Let's just be real about it. He probably wouldn't kill his heir, but it probably would have definitely been difficult for Jonathan going forward. Um, he would have had a hard time with his father for the rest of his life, um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, the second thing is that God worked through all of these events, what Saul wanted to do, what Jonathan wanted to do, and, 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 and David's future God worked through all of these events in a sovereign nature, meaning he had complete control over what was going on to deliver David. Remember, God chose David to be king, and now he's preserving him so that he can be king. And so we need to remember as believers that we must walk closely with the Lord, uh, and he's going to sovereignly protect us from dangers, even dangers that we may not see. That's what we have to recognize. David had just done his job. He had done what he was supposed to do, and he didn't expect to have repercussions from Saul, but they were there. Jonathan, as a friend, warned him about this and, and, and helped him to navigate these waters. We have to recognize that when we just do what God wants us to do, it's going to make enemies. There will be times where people don't like us. And in, the, in those cases, when, when we have enemies, God's going to divinely protect us. But we also need to just look at Saul for a minute and see how he continues to hang on to this. And how if he could admit that he had a problem, if he could admit that he was dealing with something, then he might could overcome it. But it's going, it's going to lead to further and further destruction. How much do you think Jonathan respects his father at this point? Now that matters to men. How, how much my son re, re, respects me, that matters to men. And how much do you think Jonathan respected his father in that moment? Because he's, he's in, trying to involve him in a plot to kill an innocent man. That, that would have been a low, low point for Saul. Whether he recognized it and was willing to admit it or not, that would have been a very low point for him. And so that's something that we need to be aware of. Now let's look at how David actually, or how God rescues David through Mishael, his wife. We don't know how much time really passes between verse 7, when David is able to go back into the, to the, to the court, and verse 8, when there's more wars. Um, but we do know that after these wars, David wins another big victory, and this reignites all of the envy and the hatred and the jealousy and everything that Saul has for David. And so it, it just starts over and over again. Every time David is blessed with success, Saul renews his desire to destroy him. Now, I'm not so sure that David is the greatest you know, military mind in the world at that particular time. God blesses him and enables him to have success. Um, and I think that's something that we need to remember just as, as people. God is not necessarily looking for the, the, the best mind or the best voice or the best whatever. God's looking for somebody that will be used. If you will be used, if you will submit to his will and be used by his power, he's going to do great things in that situation for, through you and even in, in a lot of cases for you. And so that's what we're looking at with David here. So in a moment of rage, now Saul's probably sitting... You know, you're probably in the, the, the throne room or where, the king's chambers, but in a place where Saul's sitting, and, and you can almost see him sitting there, and he's got his spear in his hand, and he might be spinning it, or he might be, you know, looking at it to make sure it's sharp and everything's in working order. And David 
is doing his part. He is probably in a corner somewhere playing the lyre, which is supposed to soothe Saul, calm him down when he starts having these, these harmful spirits and these dark thoughts and things like that. And then just in a moment of rage, Saul takes his spear and he throws it at David to try to, try to just pin him to the wall. And, and from pinning him to the wall, he probably wants to kill him after that. Um, but, but David eludes, he dodges, which is, again, we covered this the last time we talked about this. At short range, Saul was a warrior. He was a tall guy, which meant he could get a lot of leverage on that throw. Most likely, that was a deadly throw. For, for David to be able to dodge it, I would say probably is a supernatural thing, God allowing him, enabling him to do that. So David avoids the spear, and he kind of takes the, the hint, and he leaves. Uh, so he escapes in the night, and he goes to his house, where his wife lives. His wife, again, is Saul's daughter. Now, um, one thing we need to know right away is that uh, Michelle is not a godly woman, not, not in the way that Jonathan is. Um, she, she, she's not like that. Now, she knows that there's a plot against David. Now, we don't know how she knows. We don't know if she sees the servants because Saul sends servants to kind of stake out his house and wait till the morning time. Um, so we don't know if she sees those servants or if she just knows how her father thinks and knows that he wants to kill David. Um, but either way, it, it, she decides, and I think this has to be God put her up to it, she decides that she needs to save David's life. And so she tells him, look, if you don't escape tonight, if you don't leave tonight with your life, you're going to be killed in the morning. And so that's when she lets David down the window and, and he goes out. Now you have to understand, this is not a really good look for Michiel, what she does next. She takes a household god. Now these were things that were very common in the ancient world, would have even been common in Israel at that time. But remember, God said you shall have no idols, you shall have no graven images, you shall have nothing like that. So she had one. She had one in her house. And so she used that to kind of create... Um, for some reason, the movie Ferris Bueller just sticks in my head at this moment. If you've ever seen that movie where he kind of makes this, this, this thing where it looks like he's sick in bed, but he's out having the day of his life. Well, that's kind of the, the vision that I get. She takes this idol, and she lays it down like it's David's head. And then she has this goat hair pillow. Um, I did some reading on that, never got satisfactory answers. It's probably some kind of wig thing or whatever. But anyway, so, so she, she lays this goat hair pillow on the head to kind of look like hair. And then she just lays clothes on the bed. And so it's supposed to look like David's laying in bed just sick, just can't hardly move, can't respond, whatever. That's what it's supposed to look like. So when, when Saul, in the morning comes and Saul sends his servants in to get David, she says, no, he's in the bed sick. You can't kill him today, he's sick. And so they go back to Saul. Well, we wanted to bring him to you and kill him, but he was sick today, you have to wait. Saul says, no, I'm not going to wait. Go get the bed and bring him back. And so they were to go get the bed and bring David in his bed back to Saul so Saul could kill him. Well, that's when they discovered the ruse. And, and it was up at that point. Um, that's when they discovered this trickery. And so Saul actually asked his daughter, Michel, answer for your, you know, crime, why you did this. He didn't ask Jonathan, why did you try to save David's life? I think he knew. But I thought, I think that, that, that Saul thought that Michelle was one of his, like one of his kind. She was going to be a snare. She was going to be a trap. And when the time came, she was going to help uh, Saul destroy David. He said, why'd you do this? Well, Michelle lies. And so that kind of lets you know that, that she, didn't have, she didn't have the same kind of heart. She didn't have the same kind of thing going on that, that Jonathan did. Um, she lies and she says that David had said he was going to kill her, that he was threatening to kill her, because that's, that's basically what, she's, what, what is said in verse 17. He said to me, let me go. 
why should I kill you? Why do you want me to kill you? I just need to leave. That's, that's all that needs to be said there. And so, now, if, if Saul had thought about this for one minute, he would have known that doesn't sound anything like David. David wouldn't have killed his wife. He wouldn't have killed an innocent person. That's just not who he was as a person. Um, but Saul is not able, he's not capable of thinking at this time. He's blinded by rage. And so he's just on to the next opportunity to kill David. So, Mishael is not a godly woman, but the Lord uses her to deliver David from the hands of Saul. And so what we see here is that God's working with non-believers, he's working with lies, he's working with everything else that's going on to preserve his man for the role that he has called him for. And so God can work through all of that as well. God is sovereign, God is in control, he can work through all of this as well to preserve his people and to continue his purposes. And so we've seen God work through a godly man in Jonathan, an ungodly woman in Mishael, and Wait till we see this next part where God works through his own spirit or uses his own spirit to deliver David in the end. Now, I realize that these last couple of verses are weird, uh, so we're just going to kind of talk through it and figure out what it actually means. So, first of all, David is, is he's, he's escaping his house, he's running. Now, why didn't he go home, home, like to daddy? Why didn't he go to Jesse? Why didn't he go to his family's household? There's really two reasons. One is maybe he didn't want to bring trouble to his family household because Saul was definitely coming after him. Or two, maybe he was afraid that he would be betrayed by his own family because if, if, if you, if we, the things we've read already about David's family is they weren't always the, the, the best and the most um, uh, trusting and, and just the, the kind of people that, that you can depend on. And so one of those two reasons, instead of going home, David actually goes to Samuel. Now, Ramah is the place, this Noyoth, this, this is like a, a prophet school. And so he goes to Samuel and he tells Samuel everything um, that's going on. So he seeks refuge with Samuel and the other prophets from the continuous hatred uh, and rejection of the, or of, of the rejected king. So he tells Samuel everything that's going on. Now, of all the people that's going to believe you when you say something bad about Saul, Samuel's the guy. Like, he's fled from Saul. He's dealt with Saul. He believed in Saul and had his hopes crushed. Samuel knows Saul and he knows, yeah, this sounds just like him. And so Samuel would have been a, would have, would have been a really sympathetic ear at this moment. And so they decide they're going to go among the prophets. Now, this may have been, and, and because of who David is and, and the things that we know about David, in the, this may have been a time for David just to get stronger. David may have said, yes, let's go around the prophets. Let's get stronger in the Lord. Let's focus on him at this time. Let's grow spiritually during this time. So they go to this prophet school, where, where, and, and Samuel would have been running this thing, and so there would have been lots of men that were prophets, that were you know, men of the Lord, voices of the Lord, and David would have been there, and it would have been a time that he would have been personally ministered to during all of this. Now, what we do know is that Saul must have had a really impressive network of spies uh, because it seems like, the way the story is told, it seems like almost right away he knows where David went and what's going on. He knew what town he was in. He knew that he was at the prophet school. And so he begins to send messengers, to send messengers to get David or to at least verify his whereabouts and, 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 and go after him. But these messengers, it's really cool because they can't do their job. You see, they go to the prophet school under the authority of the king. King says, go find David. But once they get to the prophet school, they fall under the authority of God. They can no longer do their job. They've got to prophesy. So they begin to prophesy. Now, what does that look like? 
that would be speculation. Way too much speculation. But they begin to prophesy. They begin to speak the words of the Lord instead of their own words. They begin to follow the authority of God instead of the authority of the king. They're no longer any good for the king. And so Saul is not... Um, he's not... Stopped by this. He sends two other groups. So three total groups of messengers go to the prophet school and all three of those groups, they wind up prophesying instead of actually doing what the king has sent them to do. So over and over and over again. Saul and his messengers, they are powerless before the spirit of God that is protecting David. This is a really cool scene. David is here with, with Samuel. Before, before David can be found, it's almost like there is this, 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 this no-fly zone that God has set up. Like if you come in here with harm for David on your mind, you're mine. And there's another thing that I think is very interesting is in this moment, God shows that he can be gently invincible. They couldn't do anything. Now, he could have struck them down, killed them. He could have brought fire down from heaven. He could have done any number of things to strike these men down, to kill them, to ruin their lives because they were following the orders of a wicked king. But instead, he makes them prophesy. Can you imagine the stories they would go home and tell later? Like, well, you know, the king sent me to go get this guy. And I got there and all of a sudden I'm speaking, thus saith the Lord. Like, I can't tell you what happened. I don't, I don't know what happened. But God showed his power. He showed his restraint. But he definitely protected David. And so finally Saul's like, you know, you can't find good help around here. I'm going to go and I'm going to get David myself. And so that's what he does. He, he goes on the way. Now, on ordinary circumstances, from Saul's palace to this, this Naoth, and they don't know the exact location, but Ramah in general, that would have been about a 90-minute walk, hour and a half, right? And so probably five miles or so. And so that's about how far away he was going. So he walks. There's a certain well. Um, that well, we don't know exactly where that well was. I don't think it exists anymore. But when he stops by that well, he asks some people, where's David? And, and they say, well, the, the same information he's gotten the whole time. He's at, at Ramah, at the Naoth, at the prophet school. And so Saul begins to go. The other uh, messengers that Saul had sent, they didn't fall under the power of God to, to prophesy until they got there. Saul begins prophesying on the way. So on the way, he begins to prophesy. Now, th there's sometimes you just love to be a mind reader. I'd really love to know, like, was Saul mad that he was speaking the words of the Lord? What did he think? What was going on in his mind as he realizes he is falling completely under the authority and control of God in this moment as he walks towards David? So he's... he's He's persistent enough that he continues to walk towards David. Um, and so when he gets in the presence of Samuel, he's prophesying. And what you have to realize, it says that he strips off his clothes. You don't make too much about the fact that it says that he had no more clothes. What we realize is that Saul would have been wearing royal attire, the royal garments. But he cannot be royal in the presence of God. God's rejected him as king. And so that's why he strips the garments down is because he can no longer be king. He can no longer have the authority because God has taken that from him. So the rejected king is stripped of his royal authority before the power of God. He loses this. He cannot be royal anymore. He cannot be the king. He cannot be the leading citizen in Israel. And so he is humbled. He lays down and he prophesies all day and all night. And so at the very end there where it says, is Saul among the prophets? That's what people are asking is, 
Well, he prophesied all day and all night. Is he a prophet now? Like, what's going on? People didn't understand the context. But when we read it and we, and we grasp the context, we see that, that this, is, this is God showing Saul, you're never going to succeed at this. You're never going to succeed at this. And again, gently invincible. That's how God is in this moment. And, and let me tell you, you would rather God in your life, especially, so if you identify with David, you're perfect, you've never done anything wrong, you've always done exactly what God wants you to do, and all your enemies are after you. If you identify with David, good for you. God's going to protect you. But if you identify with Saul, and you have done wrong things, you've ignored problems in your life, you have been on the wrong side of everything that you've ever been a part of. I mean, you asked me to name one thing Saul did right, I, I'm going to struggle. I've studied this, and I'm going to struggle to say one thing that Saul actually did correctly. Um, but when we look at his life, couldn't it have been a lot worse? How would, if you were God, how would you have dealt with Saul? How would you have responded to his disobedience, his arrogance, his flat-out evil nature? I mean, he's done everything he knows how to do to kill David. He's done everything he could do to try to, to take God's anointed out. And yet God has very gently stopped him at every time. A wise conversation from his son. A really tricky situation with his daughter. And then just absolutely shutting him down, putting him in the spirit when he came to David among the prophets. God was gentle. So if, if you're here and you say, you know what, I've ignored some things, I've let some things fester in my life, I identify a little bit more with Saul than I do with David at this particular moment, well, let me tell you, God is invincible. You will not overcome him. But there are times, and, and with Saul, he was gently invincible. He didn't harm him, he corrected him. Over and over and over again. But, but let me tell you, we've got to... Listen to that correction. That's where Saul, that's where everything goes off the rails for Saul. He doesn't listen. We've got to listen to that correction. If you think, oh, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do, I'm trying, but I always seem to fail, maybe that's God gently saying, hey, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't go there. You can't be a part of that. You've got to stop that. If you keep running into those walls, maybe God is gently saying, nope, that's not where you're going. That's not what you need to do. Let him talk to you then. Because if he has to get rough, it's not the same. It is not enjoyable. So where, whoever you identify with, this is the moment where you look at it and you say, you know what, I've got a word from the Lord. God's either going to gently say, hey, no, no, don't do that. Or in the case of David and those that identify with him, God's going to protect you. If, you. if you feel you're surrounded by enemies and you don't feel like you deserve that kind of treatment, God's going to protect you. And it's going to be in a divine way the thing that he doesn't want you to do is fall into fear. He certainly doesn't want you to fall into deceiving people and trying to take control of things yourself. He didn't make the Ferris Bueller doll in his bed. That was his wife. That was her doings, right? He just goes out the window and goes to Samuel. So, so what we have to understand is that David was depending on God to deliver him, God to rescue him, and that's what we have to do as well. So to wrap this up, we know that it's a pretty common thing for people to make New Year's resolutions. And, you know, one thing that's kind of struck me as I've been thinking about that is that a lot of times these New Year's resolutions depends on ourself. I'm going to change this habit 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this you know, good thing. I'm going to do this. And it depends on ourselves. Well, most of us will let ourselves down. We, we will not do or follow through with the things that we say we're going to do and follow through. So what I encourage you to do is, is to do something, to, to, to make a commitment that doesn't totally depend on you. Make it a, a, a commitment that God will help you see through, that God will help you uh, go through. So very specifically with Saul, he was hanging on to bitterness. He was hanging on to jealousy and envy and things like that. And you've got to know that's a thing. That is a real thing in a lot of people's lives. We have to let go of that. That's one of the most destructive things we can do is hang on to those things. So just as we have found forgiveness in the eyes of the Lord, let us give forgiveness in this new year. And so if that's what we're struggling with and dealing with, be willing to do that. You know, uh, Jesus taught when he was teaching, the, 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 we call it the Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer. When Jesus was teaching that, he said, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's something about forgiveness that goes both ways. If you cannot give forgiveness, there, there's just some wall in your heart that won't let you receive it either. We've got to be willing to let go of those things. Now, if it's something else, if it's not some grudge or some bitterness that you're hanging on to, if it's something else entirely, if it's just a, a bad habit or something that you know is harmful to you, recognize it, admit it, and begin to work through it, to get help for it, and seek the Lord in that help, because those are the things that will bring you down if you don't acknowledge them and begin to go forward with those things. But in everything, if you're walking after the Lord, trusting Him, depend on Him to protect you from everything. He will protect you. He will be there for you. He will preserve you. God called David to be king. He wasn't going to let him die before he ever wore the crown. That wasn't going to happen, and that was a physical thing. God's called you. God's going to protect you. He's going to deliver you to the work that he has called you to do. So we've got to trust him and depend on him. So let's have a word of prayer. Um, then you've got just a moment to respond. You can think about what, what might be in your life, what's going on. If it's time for you know, a, a, a biblical New Year's resolution to let go of some things or a resolution to trust God in a situation, do that as we have this time of invitation. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. I thank you for uh, the example of Saul and David. I, I hate that folks went through some of the things that they did. Um, but as we look at Saul, we see a man that just can't let go of things that he should let go of. And many of us probably will be able to identify with that. So I pray that you give us the grace that we need just to, just to be faithful to you, to let go of the things that, that have no business in our lives. And as we look at David, we see a man that was serving you faithfully and he had enemies. And it, it, and it may not make sense to us that we have enemies, but we will if we're faithful to you. But David trusted you and you delivered him time and time again. I pray that you build within us that trust that we can depend on you. So let us, let us be the people that looks to you for our salvation. Let us be the people that looks to you for our correction and discipleship. Let us be the people that looks to you for everything. Let us serve you. Let us devote our lives to you. And Father, I pray that as we do that, not only are we growing closer to you, but we're leaving an example that others can follow that they will grow closer to you as well. We know that you are good. We know that you are faithful to your people, that you never leave us or forsake us or abandon us. And I just pray that, that today we can find in our hearts and in our lives the ability to commit to being better and closer to you this year than we were last year. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.